Man, I'd still be a dead man if there hadn't been a grave. That's Easter. That's, that's what we celebrate. That's what we gather together, whether we're here in the room or we're online. This is what we remember this weekend, that this is Easter. You know, when we say the word Easter, a lot of people think a lot of different things around Easter. I know as a pastor, I think Super Bowl. You know, as the church, we get two Super Bowls every year. There's Christmas and there's Easter. Uh, a lot of people think, maybe, maybe some of you thought, you know what, how happy are we to be back together in the room this Easter as opposed to last Easter? Yes, sir. Some of you, when you realized we were going to be gathering for Easter, you thought, new clothes. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. You know, some people thought, Easter, man, Easter, I, I got to go to church because I did it at Christmas. And, and let me just say this. If you're a CEO, Christmas and Easter only, we are so excited that you're here. We love that you're here. And, and there may be a little bit more for you. We'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. But we're so thrilled that you're here. Some people think about Easter and they think about, some people think about baskets and, and bunnies and brunch and, and all those kind of things. All of them are great as far as they go. But I do think it's worth our time to make sure that we understand just exactly what we mean when we say the word Easter. When we say the word Easter, what we're actually talking about is, is the reality of the resurrection. Easter is this. Easter is Jesus's canceling the spiritual debt of sin. Easter is Jesus canceling the spiritual debt of sin in your life, my life, in anyone's life who would choose to follow him, who choose to believe that he is the son of God, that he did in fact die on a Roman cross and that he did in fact rise again. That in that act of the resurrection, Jesus canceled the debt created by our sin. You know, debt is not a, a fun topic. I remember when I was in college at the University of Texas, I, I got a piece of mail that I will never forget. I, I, I got an envelope early in my freshman year that said the following. Dear Mac Richard, Visa believes in your future. I, I remember this as clearly as I'm standing here in front of you right now. And as a freshman in college, I thought, whoa, that's awesome. I didn't even know Visa knew me. And here they are, they believe in me. My future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. And I thought, you know, as, since I'm in college and I'll be at least, you know, legally grown up soon, I ought to get a credit card and establish some credit. And so if Visa believed in my future, I was going to believe in my future too, and I got the credit card. And over the next few weeks and the next few months, I did what a lot of people do with new credit cards. And I started, you know, I'd charge a few things here and there. I'd go out to eat with some friends and they would give me their cash and I would put it on my credit card. Ah, <laughs> uh, well... Many of you know the end result of this story. When I finished college, I, I had a pretty, pretty noticeable chunk of consumer debt racked up. Nothing insurmountable, about eight or $9,000. And I realized that Visa believed in my future because they wanted to own my future. They, they, they wanted that interest coming in at 18, 19, 21% month after month after month after month. Nobody canceled that debt. 
You see, Visa let me accrue, let me amass some debt so that they could make money off of it. Jesus canceled my debt in order to give me a future, in order to give me a hope, in order to give me the life that is truly life. And it's there for the taking for anyone who would choose to follow him. This is what the Bible says in the book of Colossians, chapter number two. It says, he made you alive. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is what Jesus did. And I think as we gather together, it's important that we state with no reservation, that we make sure that we, we understand when we say that Jesus rose from the dead, that it is the resurrection. It means that Jesus is the son of God. He did, in fact, actually die on a Roman cross, both physically and spiritually. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he did, in fact, rise from the dead, both physically and spiritually, so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, both physically and spiritually. That it is an actual reality that Jesus rose from the dead. This is not an allegory. It's not a, it's not a little story or a myth that we like to parallel our faith with, but actually this is the foundational fact of our faith that this is the fact that everything we believe as followers of Christ hinges on. And as such, we believe that, that Easter was a, was a moment that ignited a movement, that, that Easter started something that continues to this day, that Easter rocked the world. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them with Easter enthusiasm like you mean it. Easter rocked the world. Think about it. You know, in our 24-7 hyper-connected social media world, we love, you know, subscribers and followers and clicks and swipes and likes and all those kind of good things. That's fine. But I would suggest to you that the movement Easter Ignited is actually the original social media. I'm talking about the church. The, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in this world is the original social media. We're social because it's people. The church is just people called out and called up by God to do his work here in this world. That, that's what the church really is. It's media because we're tasked with telling other people, inviting as many people as possible into the story of the gospel, of being a part of what Jesus started in the resurrection, of experiencing that resurrection power, not only in their lives personally, but also collectively as the family of faith. As a matter of fact, that's where we're gonna be going over the next few weeks as a church family. Next weekend, we're launching a teaching series that I am so excited about. I'm gonna start a teaching series called Legacy. And over the next few weeks, we're going to study the legacy that Jesus commissioned the church to carry. We're going to take a step-by-step -step look at the book of Acts 
and the birth of this movement that the moment of Easter ignited. Over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of take a look and see what it is that Jesus intended when he commissioned us, the church. But also, I, I think one of the things that's going to happen over the next few weeks, God's going to do something so powerful in our lives personally as we understand the role that we are to play in this body of Christ. God's going to do something in our lives personally, but also in our life collectively as the family of faith. As we start to understand just exactly what it is, because let's be honest, the church has kind of a checkered past and sometimes checkered present. There have been a lot of things that we've handled well, a lot of things that we haven't handled well. But I think if we go back to the beginning, we will start to understand just exactly what our job is, what our role is, and I also believe this. I think that we all ought to kind of buckle up because as I've already begun preparing for this series, we're going to have our, our ideas, maybe our preconceived notions challenged and pushed a little bit, maybe even a lot. So again, turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it, buckle up. Just buckle up, buttercup, because we're about to have some fun. It's going to be amazing, but it will be challenging. It will push you to new heights, to new depths of growth in your relationship with Christ and in your relationship with the bride of Christ. I think it's funny sometimes when people say, you know, I, I like the, the whole Jesus thing is cool. I'm just not down with the church. And I understand where that comes from. I do know that not everybody has a positive experience, but I want you to understand something. If you love Christ you love his church. You, you can't say, Mac, man, you're the best. I love you. But man, your wife, Julie, oh no. Let me tell you, you tell me that, we're gonna, we're gonna dance. I mean, we're gonna have words at that point. Like, you, you can't love me and not love my bride. Jesus gave his life for the church. So it's our job to help it be everything he wants it to be. If we truly follow him, we love his bride. We're a part of it and we're engaged in it. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. But I think as we talk about Easter and we talk about the fact that Jesus paid our debt, that he canceled our debt, we have to understand that it is Jesus and Jesus only who has the authority to do that. When you understand this debt that we owe in our sin, you understand that it is Jesus only who has the authority to mark that debt paid in full. Paid in full. He's the only one that could do that. And yet, and yet, a lot of times, if we're not really careful, even if we've been around the Christian faith a long time, even if we've been longtime followers, we can sometimes, we can sometimes slip into some old habits. We, we can slip into and maybe even subconsciously start to think or, or start to believe that, you know what, I, I, I'll, I'll cover that debt. I, I can do that. But here's the problem when that happens. Anytime that I try to pay my spiritual debt out of my own spiritual resources and reserves, it is always marked insufficient funds. Insufficient funds. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the reserves to pay the debt that Jesus can mark paid in full. 
I think it's an interesting question. I'm going to ask you this question. You don't have to play along, but just remember, we're family here, so it's okay. Has anybody in the room, you can raise your hand if you want to, has anyone ever tried to pay for something and had like your credit card or your debit card de declined at the register? Has anybody ever been through that experience? It's, it's a terrible feeling. And, and, and of course you're saying, I don't know what the problem is. I know there's money in the account. <laughs> None of us have ever tried to do it with insufficient funds, but there's been a computer glitch, right? Or ha how many of you have ever had a check returned insufficient funds and you get charged $25 by the bank? Ooh. It's like, I don't know what happened. I, I put the deposit in there, honey. There must be a mistake at the bank. You know computers. Well, it's the same thing that happens spiritually when we try to prove our worth spiritually. When we try to earn God's favor, God's forgiveness, God's grace. When we try to prove our worth, maybe to other people. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times, we try to prove to other people that we're worthy of, of love, of, of friendship, Sometimes we're trying to prove ourselves to people who have, who have been long, long dead. Maybe a parent or somebody from our childhood. Somebody who communicated either in word and or in deed. You'll never amount to anything. I've got a really close friend whose dad just, just so, so beat him down emotionally. And, and let me tell you something. This guy is one of the highest achievers I've ever met in my life. But if you look back at it, and he has, by God's grace, come out from underneath that, and he's been through a lot of Christian counseling. He's like, listen, I spent the vast majority of my adulthood trying to prove my dad wrong. Whenever we do that, we're always drawing on insufficient funds. Some of the things that we use, sometimes we'll use the insufficient fund of religion, we think if we do enough good things or if we keep enough rules and regulations or follow enough rituals, if we go to church often enough on Christmas and Easter, then we'll prove to God, we'll prove to other people that we're okay, that, that we deserve his favor, we deserve his forgiveness because we think we need to earn it. When in reality, grace is so amazing because it's just a gift. You, you'll never do enough religious things. You'll never... Keep enough rituals, rules, and regulations to earn God's favor or forgiveness. It is a gift. Sometimes we think, you know what, maybe it's not religion, it's achievement. Achievement and success. And if I can, you know, just check enough achievement and success boxes, then I will prove that I'm worthy of other people to respect me. I'm worthy of my parents' love or I'm worthy of my parents' approval or, or whatever the case may be. And let me just tell you, achievement and success, that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, we're, we're commissioned by God to do everything we do to his glory, to work hard as though we're serving God and not serving other people because we are, in fact, serving God and not serving other people. But achievement and success by itself will never satisfy you. You will never put enough trophies in the case or enough zeros in the bank to satisfy your soul. Sometimes people say, well, if it's not religion and it's not achievement, I got it. Charity, charity, or, or philanthropy. 
if I can do enough good things to help other people, surely God will then wink at me and give me a pass. Or if, if people see me serving enough in the community, helping other people, that's enough. Philanthropy is great. The word philanthropy means a love of humanity. I would encourage you to love humanity. That's a good thing. But by itself, it will never satisfy your soul. It's better than a lot of the other alternatives, but it's not enough. These things are insufficient funds. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who marks our spiritual account paid in full. It is him who can do these things. And I started thinking about why is it that we do try religion or we try achievement or we try charity or any number of other things. Why is it that we go to those things? And I thought about marriage. I thought about, I thought about marriage. How many of you are married in the room? Okay. Now, you don't have to be married. This is just one example that I think, because here's the deal. Any relationship that is committed, any relationship that is real, any relationship that lasts and endures, like marriage, it will smoke out your insecurities like nothing else in the world. I mean, how many of you husbands know that marriage will smoke out your insecurities? Can I just see a show of hands? And men, if your hand's not in the air, you are lying in church on Easter. <laughs> this summer, my bride, Julie, and I will celebrate 30 years of marriage. 30 years. <laughs> yay, God. Yay, God, and yay, Julie. Now, clearly, over 30 years, we've had our moments. There, there have been some times when Julie has really helped me get better. Any husbands ever been helped to get better? Don't raise your hand right now, men. But here, here's what I know to be true. Don't, don't, don't miss this. For Julie and me, 30 years, two children, biological, two more children, bonus, being a part of the Lake Hills Church family for 24, almost 25 of those years. Too many dogs to count. I feel pretty confident, pretty confident that this is gonna work out. I think we're gonna make it. But here's what I know to be true. If this is gonna continue to flourish and to thrive, to be everything that God wants it to be, to, er to be everything that she and I hope it can be, I'm gonna have to continue to pay attention to her. I'm gonna have to continue to listen to her. I'm gonna have to continue to share my heart. I'm gonna have to continue to be vulnerable. I'm gonna to have to continue to try to get better as a husband, as a man. I'm gonna to have to continue to help to challenge her spiritually, to serve her, to love her, to lead her, to do all of those things. It, relationships take work. Somebody help me preach. But man, if you do the work, 
I'm just going to tell you what's going on right here. By the grace of God, it's as good as it gets. How many of you know that the empty nest is a goal to be achieved and celebrated? <laughs> so I'm just saying, is it work? <laughs> yeah. Is it worth it? You bet. And that's why we go to religion, achievement, or charity. Instead of working on our relationship with Christ, because this is harder. A lot of people, a lot of people sacrifice what happens at home because work is easier. It's easier to go to work in the marketplace than it is to go to work at home with the people who know us best. It's easier. Now, that doesn't mean that work is easy, but it's easier than being real and authentic and vulnerable and sacrificing and serving and loving with the people that we do life with the most. And that's why those things are insufficient funds. Because it is Jesus and Jesus alone who cancels the debt of sin, who marks our account spiritually paid in full. Acts chapter 17, he is the God. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. This is one of the coolest things about God. That part, he has no needs. He has no needs. If God has no needs, that means that everything he's done for us, in particular, what Jesus did for us on the cross, through the cross, and in the resurrection, that means that it's because he wants us. That, that's, that's the depth of his desire for us. He doesn't need us. He, he could have looked at you. He could have looked at me and our sin and gone, well, sorry. Take care. Best, luck, best of luck to you. He said, I created you. I gave you everything you needed. And you said it wasn't enough. You messed this up. I messed this up. But he said, all right, I got this. Because he wants you that much. He wants you that badly that he commissioned his son to die on the cross in your place he, and on, in my place. John chapter three, verse 16. For God, for God so loved the world. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. 
this is how much God loved the world. And, and make sure that you understand, when it says God loved the world, yes, God loves his creation and, and the cosmos, yes. But in this context, John chapter three, verse 16, it means that God loves you by name that much. By name. God loves you so much that he thought you up. You're, you're not just the random collection of molecules assembled because your mom and dad loved each other. You were imagined and dreamed up by God himself. And he said, I want to make right what they've made wrong. I want to bring them back into relationship with me. Now, I don't know where you are on this Easter Sunday. I, I can't know really anyone. Your journey and what's brought you to this place. But what I can know is that at this place is the opportunity to have a relationship with God. Galatians chapter five says that it is for freedom that we have been set free. That we are set free to be more like Christ and to live like it. To live in that freedom. To live in that flourishing and that thriving. Because he marked your account like he's marked my account, paid in full. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you a very direct question. It's a simple question. It's simple, but it's the most significant question you'll ever answer. Have you accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross and in the resurrection? Have you accepted what Jesus did for you in Easter. It's a gift, but it's a gift that has to be opened. It has to be received. If you're here and you've never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. Right where you're sitting, to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment to Christ. If that's you, then just silently pray this prayer. Just silently from your heart to God's heart, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to cancel my debt of sin. And so I confess my sin holding nothing back in order to receive your complete grace and truth and forgiveness. And in exchange for your life given for me, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. I pray this prayer to confess you as my Lord and my Savior. And I pray it 
Jesus, in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. Because this moment is sacred ground. But if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And so as a church, we want to help with what's next. Because this is just the beginning for you. This is the first Easter that counts in your life. And so in just a moment, we're going to let you know kind of how to begin that process. But very, very briefly, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you do, just know, just know that your hand in the air is a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made to Christ. And also know that as a church, as a family of faith around you and with you, we celebrate that and honor that. And our family tradition around here is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.